The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you gotta love it, it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes Welcome to Fighting for Love This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the power of our mind, and we have a wonderful guest. I've been reading his column in the Science of Mind magazine. It's uh, called Real Positivity, and every month it comes out, and I look forward to reading it. So let me tell you about our guest coming to us all the way from New York City. Mitch Horowitz is a writer and publisher with a lifelong interest in man's search for meaning. That's and I have a woman's search for meaning. <laughs> the Penn Award-winning um, author of Occult America and One Simple Idea, Mitch has written on everything from the war on w- witches to the secret life of Ronald Reagan for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Salon, and Time. The Washington Post says Mitch treats esoteric ideas and movements with an even-handed intellectual studiousness that is too often lost in today's raised voice discussions. He's also the popul- the voice of popular audiobooks, including Alcoholics Anonymous and the Jefferson Bible, and he's host of the web series Origin Superstitions. Mitch is vice president and executive director uh, executive editor at Tarcher Peregrine, a division of Penguin Random House. And you can find out more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com. And also, we link to mitchhorwitz.com. So you can find out a lot about him. And we're just thrilled that you're joining us all the way from New York City. Thanks so much, Mitch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I really enjoy your column every month, and then I saw that you have uh, uh, one of your new books out, and um, this is called, uh, well, you edited The Miracle Power of Your Mind, The Joseph Murphy Treasury. So maybe my audience doesn't know who Joseph Murphy is, so can you tell us a little bit about him? Oh, sure thing. Joseph Murphy was one of the great pioneers 
in this country of what we call the power of positive thinking or what some people call the law of attraction, what I refer to as positive mind metaphysics. And Murphy was uh, someone who had grown up on the southern coast of Ireland in a devoutly Catholic family, had planned on studying for the priesthood, but instead he made his way to New York City in the 1930s. Uh, he left behind his plans to become a priest. He had gotten increasingly interested in some of the new metaphysical explorations that were going on in the U.S. and Europe and other parts of the world involving things like Christian science or what was often called and is still called new thought, uh, the notion that the mind has creative metaphysical properties to it, that thoughts make things happen. And Murphy came to the U.S. and got very deeply involved in various movements in new thought, Christian science, and other uh, of the new metaphysical movements. And he came to discover that he had a wonderful gift for communication. He could take these ideas and communicate them to a very broad, mainstream audience of people. And he began writing, and his writing career reached its zenith in 1963 with a book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind, which many of your listeners have probably heard of. It's been an enormously popular book now for several generations. And when Murphy died in 1981, he was really, in some respects, the last of the great pioneers of positive thinking. That is to say, people who didn't have any really significant business or corporate apparatus at their back, he was really an itinerant metaphysical minister. He would travel around the country giving talks, living off of uh, what were called love offerings and his book royalties, sales of his pamphlets and books at his uh, speaking venues. And he was just a remarkable guy. There was a great, wonderful simplicity about him. Of course, this was the days before social media. No one tweeted. No one posted. Um, there weren't even, you know, HTML newsletters. This was a man who passed on before email became popular. Uh, and he, he really swept the country and much of the Western world just on his own powers as a communicator. Probably he authored in total about 50 books or so. He was remarkably prolific, and he was just so simple, and that's what I loved about that generation. They had absolutely no accoutrements, you know, about them in terms of their public outreach. They were barnstormers, and, and that's who Joseph Murphy was. He was really a, a barnstormer for this popular form of metaphysics. Wow. So how is it that you decided to write this book? Well, I wanted to collect some of Murphy's best writings into one great collection. There are just so many articles and pamphlets and books that Joseph Murphy wrote. It can be difficult to know where to begin, frankly. Uh, so if someone feels like it, they can begin here with the miracle power of your mind. It's a very large collection, but I, I wanted it to be somewhat complete, and it's a very easy reading. He had a gift for taking spiritual complexities and boiling them down into very, very simple messages. And so it's really a whole library in one book. And, and if, if one believes in and loves what Joseph Murphy wrote and stood for, it, 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 this book 
can become a lifetime keepsake in a way. And so I, I wanted to create a place where his best ideas were pulled together in one omnibus collection. So he was a contemporary of Ernest Holmes. Did yes. They, yeah, they were. Were they friends, or what was the story? They were friendly. A lot of the people who were interested in new thought uh, in the first half of the 20th century knew one another, spoke at one another's churches, were invited to one another's cities and towns. He was a contemporary of Ernest Holmes, of Neville Goddard, who's a favorite new thought thinker of mine, of the Reverend Norman Vincent Peale. Murphy was really out there popularizing positive thinking ideals just before Peale sort of brought the power of positive thinking into homes across America with his book of the same name in the early 1950s. And Murphy was really a contemporary of and and a friend to uh, many of this movement's pioneers. Interesting stuff, yeah. It's uh, it's coming back around, too, I think, in a very, very positive way. Let's talk about positive thinking. You know, I've been doing so much reading about that, and I had on an, another contemporary of yours, Mark Waldman, who's been writing mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the brain and how we are predisposed to negative thinking, so we really have to work on positive thinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you called positive thinking the American creed. So Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Well, in a way, people all across the cultural and political spectrum of this nation, whether they identify themselves as um, New Agers or Evangelicals, liberals or conservatives, tend to have their own affinity for this idea that thoughts are causative, that thoughts make things happen. We are a nation that has always believed in the ideal that what a person thinks of him or herself will outpicture in that person's life. Uh, We've embraced this idea as a nation probably to a greater or lesser extent for the past 150 years, and we elect presidents who say things like, nothing is impossible. Uh, Yes, we can. I believe in a place called hope. Uh, I was just referring to Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, and Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a darkness to our political rhetoric today, uh, and that's a break with the very recent past. It used to be that whoever was the optimist in a presidential race or in some other prominent political race was considered to have the upper hand. Uh, Reagan would talk about the idea of mourning in America, uh, of uh, the U.S. being a kind of city on a hill. And even though it had a kind of gauzy idealism to it, it was how Americans wanted to see themselves. So for many, many generations, this belief in brighter tomorrows, this belief that the mind can shape a person's fortunes and circumstances has been an ideal that Americans have wanted to believe in. Nowadays, we're seeing a very, very recent break with that in our political rhetoric, and it's, it's very unsettling. And it's a kind of rhetoric that's been alien to our political process for generations. Again, reality is much more complex in terms of the messy work of politics and keeping ourselves together as a political polity. But the way Americans wanted to see themselves was captured by Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama. And and hence, I refer to positive thinking as the American creed. 
Right, right. And, you know, it is kind of upsetting <laughs> what we're seeing in the media. But, um, yeah. so, but you know, the journalists today are kind of picking up on that. They're, they're kind of doing so much negative talk, aren't they? And, you know, I hate to watch television. It's all really negative, and it's, it, it kind of fuels the fire. So are, they, are the academics and the journalists, are they considering positive thinking to be kind of a shallow, uh, you know, milk toast type of philosophy or what? Yes, I think that's true. Positive thinking is the philosophy that's never gotten any respect in America. There are many journalists and academics who view positive thinking as a retreat from reality, as this kind of milk toast, fuzzy-headed, unrealistic philosophy. And as I've pointed out in my book, One Simple Idea, which is a history of the positive thinking movement, and that book is is now out in hardcover and is coming out in paperback on May 3rd, um, they have it wrong. They have it wrong. It's impossible to speak of one train of thought with regard to positive thinking. There have been many different expressions of it, many different enunciations of it. Uh, you have a Joseph Murphy who would encourage people to use their mind uh, in ways that could make them prosperous or popular. And there's a great hopefulness behind that, and the answer as to whether that works has to be determined in the life of the individual experimenter. And then you had a figure like William James, the, the great Harvard philosopher who died in 1910, who's, who was fascinated with positive thinking for uh, many decades of his adult life, who believed that the mind did in fact contain healing and causative properties. But James's version of positive thinking was a little different from Joseph Murphy's. James believed in a kind of deliberative thinking, a kind of determined, focused thought that could create bridges where there were chasms in our lives. And he thought, James believed that it was impossible, in fact, to accomplish anything without having a kind of determined enthusiasm at one's back. So you don't have to check out of reality to view the positive thinking movement as a serious and impactful movement. You can enter it through different doors. Joseph Murphy is one door. Um, some of the more popular thought of William James is another door. Neville Goddard is another door. There are some people who come from a deeply Christian background, and for them, Norman Vincent Peale, who used examples from Scripture to justify the idea that the mind has metaphysical properties. That was a door to enter through. So there are many different versions of this philosophy, and it's been so impactful and so instrumental in the lives of different kinds of people, ranging from people who are viewed as more conservative mainstream figures to people who are viewed more as radical figures, like the black nationalist Marcus Garvey, who I write a lot about, who was actually a big advocate of using what he saw as the metaphysical powers of the mind. There's no just one positive thinking. There are many different versions and iterations of this philosophy. They travel throughout the country. So it's almost impossible to dismiss it, because if one does, they're dismissing the whole American experience in a certain sense. That's how deep these ideas have run throughout our culture. So the journalists and academics who dump on positive thinking, and I have written a number of essays online and elsewhere critiquing their 
uh, opposition to positive thinking. There's a shallowness about it. They don't they don't go far enough. They identify some of the excesses. They identify some of what's wrong, and sometimes their critiques are, are right in those areas, but they don't take a full enough picture. Their their perspective is is too narrow. Um, the question is whether this angry. Uh, coarse political rhetoric, particularly coming from Trump, that has been so uh, offensive. Kind of comes <laughs> so 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 not only so uh, offensive, but so unfortunately definitive right. of our political process. Yeah. Will we bounce back from that? Is there going to be another Ronald Reagan? Is there going to be another Barack Obama who speaks in terms of hope and yes, we can and mourning yeah. in America? Yeah. It really. You know, just a few years ago, that was the dominant political rhetoric in our country, yeah. and it's pretty shocking to see that change. So uh, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we going to bounce back from that? Yeah. You know what I think is really fascinating? Because I, you know, I, I'm very much into Ernest Holmes, and, you know, he, mm-hmm. he has positive thinking, but he, it's not that he denies reality, but he says, even though that's the reality, we look above it to what it could yes. be. And, right and I on, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, you know, you're not denying <clears throat> that it exists, but you're saying, well, you are kind of denying. You're saying it, it, it is a, a form of reality, but we can create another reality. But, That's right. Yeah, and, and I like that. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of how we're going from philosophy to actually having empirical evidence of how yeah. it is. You know, um, I've been reading, we talked about Mark Waldman, who was on our show, Words mm-hmm. Can Change Your Brain, that yes. your brain actually um, it creates new positive neural pathways when you have positive right. thoughts. When you're an optimist, you live longer, you're less sick. So, right. if you, I mean, they can see it on an MRI when they inject you That's with, right. um, you know, with dye. They can see yep. that, you know, your frontal lobes are lighting up instead of, you know, your emotional crazy stuff that's in your amygdala brain, you know. Right, so, right. So, that's what's beautiful is like all these philosophers knew what they were doing, but now we have actual proof that it changes your brain for the benefit of, of you, right? That's right. And we're living through an extraordinary time because we're making so many advances right now in understanding how our thoughts can actually reshape our physical matter in the form of the neural pathways in our brains, for one thing. And this field, which is sometimes called neuroplasticity, is just in its infancy, and it's so important. Now, one of the things I write about is that many of the founders of positive thinking had the same insights and sometimes used some of the same language and methods as neuroscientists do today who are experimenting in the field of neuroplasticity, as you were just saying, uh, measuring um, uh, electrical activity in the brain based upon what kind of mood a person is in. Now, in 1912, there was a minister named John Herman Randall who talked about this very idea that he was speaking metaphorically, but but now we've learned he was speaking also quite literally and physically. He said you could establish new grooves in the brain, so to speak, through your thought patterns. And he would give people exercises and techniques they could use to establish new grooves or pathways in the brain in order to break bad habits or some such. Now, today, 
there is a, a psychiatrist uh, named Jeffrey Schwartz at UCLA, who's one of the pioneers in neuroplasticity. He uses some of the exact same language, but in this case, backed up with brain scans, explaining to people who are suffering from, say, obsessive-compulsive disorder, that in the most basic literal sense, if you can undertake a sustained program of redirected thinking, the mind, in ways that we don't yet understand, generates a kind of formative mental force that changes neural pathways, that changes the pathways by which electrical patterns actually travel in the brain so that you're not only instituting new habits, you're altering brain biology. Right. And this is as plain as day. Right. And I, I challenge anyone who's listening if they say, well, gee, that sounds like fantasy. Don't trust me. You know, go, go look it up in, in, in responsible science pages of, of widely read newspapers like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Read journal articles. This is as plain as day, because I feel very strongly that none of this material should be exaggerated, and it doesn't require exaggeration. It's, right. it's fantastic enough as it is. And we're, we're living through times of remarkable breakthroughs in understanding that not only do thoughts um, uh, represent some sort of a subjective positive change in our lives, but they actually alter matter. Brain biology is altered by thought. Yeah, that's what I think is so wonderful because, you know, this for those of us who, who really ascribe to this and see it in our own lives, I know that if I get up in the morning and I meditate and I and I say positive statements and I have inquiries, I know that my day is going to be better. Before I go into a very difficult yes. mediation, because I deal with, for the past 30 years, I've been, you know, an attorney mediator. When I go into a difficult conversation with, uh, with clients that are in conflict, I go in and I have a mental attitude and it does it's it's contagious it, that's wonderful you know yeah. and, and so people who are negative that's contagious right yes yes and, and so that's what's so scary about what's happening with Trump at least from my perspective is that I agree you know just kind of getting people riled up I think I think the Reagans of the world were the ones that gave us hope got us excited felt made us feel more connected and that's really where we want to be which gets back to you you were talking about Ronald Reagan and you said he is the most influential, influential positive thinker. Now, why do you think that's so? Well, Reagan was an interesting figure. You know, he, he, he was, of course, and remains a very divisive figure. People have a kind of love-hate relationship with Reagan. But if you can sort of set that aside for the time being, one of the things I've written about is that he was a guy who really grew up on a lot of the literature that you and I have just been talking about. His mother, Nell, uh, was uh, kind of an early positive thinker who brought a lot of these ideas into their childhood home uh, when Reagan first went away to college and got his first job in radio. It was actually a family of mystics and chiropractors who ran a uh, radio station in Davenport, Iowa, who gave him his first breakthrough in radio, and he was very at ease with these kinds of people, comfortable with these kinds of people. Likewise, a few years later, when he went to Hollywood and began to build his career as a screen actor, he was this being Hollywood in Southern California uh, in the 1930s, 40s, 60s, 
he came in contact with and very much saw himself as a part of early New Age culture. He was comfortable with things ranging from astrology to tarot to numerology to positive thinking. Now, that may be cause for alarm among some of your listeners, but the fact is those ideas alongside conservative political ideas and radical political ideas for that matter were in the groundwater of Southern California and remain so. They were part of people's lives and the Reagans, Ronald Reagan and later his wife Nancy, ran in these circles, were comfortable in these circles and by the time Reagan became a national political presence, you could find in his speeches and public statements and writings all kinds of ideas that were a leaf taken out of the American mystical tradition. And this tradition was heavily a tradition influenced by new thought and positive mind metaphysics. So when Reagan would talk about nothing is impossible, about America being this nation that was possessed of a destiny, about nothing being able to stop the individual or the country that had an ethical determination, these weren't just ideas that he pulled out of thin air, but they came directly out of the positive thinking tradition. So people who are fans of Ronald Reagan might not want to put any label on them themselves and in certain matters he didn't want to put labels on himself but he was drinking directly from the waters of the positive thinking tradition and I've written about this in the Washington Post in Salon in my book One Simple Idea people can go online and read about uh, what I've found but going through Reagan's speeches you find telltale phrases that come out of uh, the work of people like Ernest Holmes or Joseph Murphy or the great uh, esoteric philosopher Manly P. Hall. It's kind of wild to believe, but our president was familiar with these figures, and uh, he was tremendously influential in enunciating this way of thought to large numbers of people who didn't see themselves as possessing metaphysical beliefs. Right, right. And, I, I, you know, I, I think about when he said, take this, you know, the Berlin Wall down, and people thought yeah. that that would be impossible. And and so, you know, when you visualize it, you see it, you believe it, you get other people to believe it with you, and it happens. And there is that, that power that's, um, yes. that's very exciting, I think. When people recognize, it's almost like people, some people will say, well, it's placebo, but, you know, even placebo works. You know? Right. And it's interesting. I, I love how, you know, Know, today in the 21st century, and you just nailed it, we'll say things like, well, it's just a placebo, to which I say, just a placebo. <laughs> we don't even know what the placebo response is. We know that it exists, and we're finding increasing ways of documenting it, and sometimes people demonstrate a placebo response even when they know that they're being given a sugar pill, so to speak. Yeah. There was a study at Harvard Medical School in, in late 2010 that demonstrated that. So, you know, it, it, we're no longer able to say, well, it's just a placebo. You know, it's the equivalent of saying it's just imagination. You know, well, well, just what? You know, <laughs> we use that to describe an effect, but we don't know what the cause is. So that is one of the great mysteries that we stand in front of today. Well, you know, I always think about this, that we know that the body has incredible power to heal itself. You get a cut, and then a couple of days later, it's, it's healed, right? I mean, you don't even have to tell it to do that. But then when you do talk to yourself and you do heal, I know of people who've literally healed themselves from cancer, had people who avoided a neck surgery, like my husband, from, from meditating and just envisioning things happen to his neck. So, you know, I mean, the power is 
in the pudding. You know, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's not it, even if it if someone says it's placebo, there's something happening, some change that they can recognize in the brain, in the body, that they see the change. So that's uh, that's the exciting thing for me. We have just a couple minutes left. I just thought maybe you could share a little bit about, um, you know, for yourself, what you know, if you could share what you use to, um, you know, with positive thinking and, and how you've incorporated into your own life. Sure. Well, uh, in terms of meditation, I practice transcendental meditation. That's a Me mantra-based yeah. meditation that I do twice a day, which I recommend to, to everyone. Um, in terms of my own practices of positive thinking, I'm very influenced by Napoleon Hill, who wrote yes. Think and Grow Rich. I'm very influenced by the idea that writing down a goal and dwelling on that goal day in and day out, morning, noon, and night, can set in motion some very powerful forces, uh, both psychological and, I, I think, metaphysical as well, which is a big claim, but that's a claim that we can discuss <laughs> at another show. Um, and I believe that writing things down and having very concrete goals has just extraordinary power. And filling your life with the literature of positive thinking, reading people like Neville Goddard, Joseph Murphy, Ernest Holmes, that too serves as a thread of influence in your life that can bring very important and valuable things to you. Yeah, I know. And you're in the March issue, you talked about the three things, which kind of you just said now, which is, you know, create a list of what you want, read yes. it morning and night, you know, really st- be steady in your resolve and be grateful for it, you know. So yes, exactly. That attitude I- of gratitude helps, too. Yes, and what you just described, the column you're quoting from, I call it the three-step miracle. And if any of your listeners uh, email me, and you can find my email through my website, which is mitchhorowitz.com, I will send them a little card uh, which contains on it the instructions that you were just describing. I'm a big believer in very simple things, because if you do a simple thing with everything in you, the, the key really is the individual's passion and commitment. Perfect, and that's a great way to end. So thank you so much, Mitch Horowitz. We will have you back again. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.